see you this morning, except I can't see you. It's dark out there. There you go. Somebody, you know, Father's Day is coming up, and I think we need to have classes on what to buy and what not to buy for dads. Somebody came up to me in the first service says, I thought of you uh, yesterday. I was in Walmart, and I wanted to buy you a fly rod. <laughs> now, that, uh, 
If you, if you could see this, the first part is a rod, but the last part is the, well, anyway. But I think we need a lot of help on that. It's good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Let's all stand up and look around and find five or six people that you can just hug their necks. Give them a high five. Let them know you're glad to see them.
Word of God is given to us that we might know who He is, that we might know of His great love for us, that we might understand the depths of His truths from His Word. His Word is also given that we might study and, and find ourselves approved, understand those truths about who He is and about His Word and about how we can live our life by that. These ancient words are true, and we are to live our lives by those truths. As we sing these words, be reminded of His great love for us and how He's revealed His heart to us through those great words.
would you be seated? And would you draw that imaginary circle around yourself as if nobody were here but just you and the Lord? And in this very special time, we've just sung about the ancient words, the scriptures that come into our hearts to renew our minds and the Spirit transforms our life. Just go into the presence of the Father right now if you're a believer and just thank Him, just praise Him, just tell Him what's on your heart this morning in the quietness and the stillness of these moments. Ask the Lord if there's anything in your life this morning that's grieving or quenching His Spirit, a sin, maybe a sinful attitude, whatever. Just let the Lord deal with you right now very personally. And remember, when you confess, you're confessing, yes, Lord, this is a failure because I chose my flesh. It always produces failure. But remember that repentance is not promising to do better. You're not going to do any better. Jesus didn't come to renew your flesh. He came to re replace it. And so just let Jesus be Jesus in you. It's just saying, Lord, overcome me because I can't overcome the sin. You overcome me. This week is, is beginning so a, lot, a lot of the elections, primaries, everything. A lot of stuff's going to be happening next several months. Let's pray for the candidates. Let's pray that the Lord would, would bring about His perfect will for our city, for our state, for our country in critical days that we're living in. Let's just pray that God would make Himself known and show Himself strong. as we prepare our hearts this morning for worship, as we come to a place of our giving. We have just a few more Sundays, and we're running just a little bit under our budget right now, and it'd be great if God would just speak to someone's heart and we would catch all that up by July the 1st. And so just ask the Lord this morning, Lord, how can I honor you by what I give? Let him, ask Him what He wants you to give, because giving and living are synonymous, and He owns it all. So how can you worship Him this morning? in your gifts. Just ask Him. He'll speak to you. Then remember the grace of God enables you to do whatever He tells you to do. Father, we just thank You so much for this opportunity to come before You this morning. Lord, we come before You just desperate to see You do a work. Lord, we, we realize every day of our life what we cannot do and Father, that just simply makes us candidates to see what you can do. Help us, oh God, to understand that faith only begins when human ability ends. And so, Father, as we come before you this morning, we, what we would give would be a token to what you would want us to give. And so, Lord, speak to each of our hearts. May we be willing to do whatever it is you tell us. And Lord, thank you that we can never outgive you, but we want you to be honored and glorified by what's given today. And so, Father, speak to each heart. And may this offering, Lord, reflect you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers.
thank you so very much just for reminding us that you're the light. We're only the lamp. You live within us. You're the life. You're the light. You're the love. And we thank you, Father, when we say yes to you, when we honor you by saying yes to your word, then, Father, you begin to shine your light in us. And the world looks at us and they don't see us. They see you. And, Father, I just pray that we would be people that love you and believe in you, but show others by how we live that we really mean what we say. Lord, as we come to the Word this morning, I pray in my weakness, your strength would be made perfect. I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will open our eyes to what you want us to see in these days. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and would you turn with me to the book of Jude? The book of Jude, been saying in every service, if you can't find it, Go to Revelation and go left. <laughs> you, you might miss it because it's only one chapter. The book of Jude, and in that first, on the only chapter, we're going to be looking at verse 11 today. I have gotten more snake stories by email since we started this series, and I'm going to at some point in time use those as illustrations. We're talking about snakes around the water. Obviously, the snakes being the false teachers, the water being the shallow water of God's Word. When people that are believers do not get into God's Word and go to the depths of it to let God get in them, to let His Word get in them so much the Spirit might transform their lives, what happens is they fall prey to false teaching. It's emotionalism, it's everything else and what they fall into. So we call this series Snakes Around the Water as Jude warns the believers he's writing to about the false teachers that they're having to deal with. And so today we're continuing the rest of the story. He began back in verse 4, the rest of the story. He's going to continue for several more messages describing the attitude and the actions of these false teachers. The rest of the story today is part two. When I was a senior pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we used to have a sign in front of the church that read, you are free to make any choice you want to make but you are never free to choose its consequence. You're free to make any choice you want to make, but you're never free to choose its consequence. I wonder how many of us as believers, we've learned that Christ lives within us, but have we also learned the lesson the Apostle Paul brings out in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, that even though we, we are spirit-filled in the sense that Christ has come to live in us, the Spirit-filled daily is as we seek to let Him control us, we can still obey our flesh. And when we choose to do what the flesh wants to do, we cannot choose its consequences. And we've all learned that the consequences of doing what Wayne wants to do or what you want to do is very painful. Sin will take us further than we ever wanted to stray. It'll keep us longer than we ever intended to stay. And it'll cost us more than we ever dreamed we'd pay. Now, we know this is true in a believer's life. Now, think with me for a second how much more true it is and greater in a non-believer's life. He has no choice. He can only obey his flesh. He has no power or victory over his flesh. The deceptive false teachers are those kinds of people. Jude tells us that they had crept into the midst of the lives of the believers that he's writing to, and he calls them ungodly persons. Now, that word basically means no respect for God, no reverence for Him, ungodly persons. And here's what He's told us so far. Ungodly persons who turned the grace of God into licentiousness. In other words, took the freedom 
which is the power to do as you should and made it the right to do as you please. And that's not real freedom. They, who, he says, who refused Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who based their false doctrine on dreams and visions, not on the substance of God's Word, who defiled their flesh and sinful living, who rejected any authority in their lives, and we'll see it again today, who blatantly reviled even angelic majesties, who did not understand the seriousness of what they were doing, and who lived as animals with no limits to their spiritual, or to their, our sinful, rather, behavior. Jude tells us that the consequences of their rebellion would be a painful and a horrible judgment. In fact, Jude begins, verse 11, with these words, Woe to them. Now, they just don't have a clue as to the consequences of their choices. They don't realize the judgment has already been signed and sealed and soon to be delivered. The word woe is a tough word. I'm not so sure I, I can, with this regular word, describe it for you. It's, in fact, when you have an A-I in the modern Greek language, it's pronounced E. And it's interesting, this little word. It's O-U, ooh, and then E. Ooh, E. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I just see these words and they catch my humor. It means to denounce something, Ooh, to denounce something with great pity. Woe to them, he says. Jude is now going to continue to show the rest of the story concerning these false teachers. Like I said, he's already given us a list. He just continues to build on that list. Now, he's going to do this today by giving us three examples out of the Old Testament as to what these false teachers were really like. He can do that because 1 Corinthians 10 says that these things happen to them that we might learn from them. So we're going to go back and, and learn a lesson. These false teachers had the same characteristics of these three examples he's going to give to us today. Three examples. First of all, he, he wants us to know that they, they only think about themselves. A false teacher only thinks about himself. Now remember, read a man before you read his book. Because a lot of times they'll say the right things. They know exactly when to say it and what to say. But you've got to look at their lifestyle. You've got to look at where they're really coming from. A false teacher is a deceptive person. He's camouflaged. And he comes in and makes you think he's the real thing. But here Jude is opening up now and letting us see behind the curtains. He's letting us go backstage and see what they're really like. For they have gone the way of Cain. Now, the phrase, they have gone, uses the little Greek word, parevome, and it has the idea of to depart from where they should have been. And it's in the aorist passive. Aorist tense at a certain point in time, passive voice, because of their rebelliousness towards God, they had no other choice but to go the way of Cain. They have gone the way of Cain. Now, Cain is the first of Jude's three examples, and we've got to look at this and see why he used them. You see, let me jog your memory. Cain is the first murderer that we find in the Bible. He murdered his brother Abel. He murdered him out of vengeful jealousy, and this is found in, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now, a lot of things we can say about that story. One of the things that happens so often is when a New Testament writer mentions an Old Testament situation, we tend to go back and take it so introspectively, and, and as we look into it, we forget why he brought him up to start with. You can say a lot of things about the story of Cain and Abel. You could get a lot of truth out of it, but what is the germ? What is the nugget he's trying to give to us? 
What is, why is it that Jude uses Cain as a reference to an example of a false teacher? The author of Hebrews gives us a clue as he presents Jude as a man who is opposite the man of faith. Contrast, you have to see it like a light and dark. On the one side, you see a man of faith. On the other side, you see what these false teachers were. The man of faith is a man who trusts God. And Hebrews 11 is the whole chapter on the hall of faith. And he obeys his word. But Cain is the opposite. And so therefore, Hebrews tells us that Cain defied God and came up with a different way of worship than that which God had ordered. You say, how do you know God told them how to bring their sacrifices? Well, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. We don't have it recorded, but we know this from the story. Hebrews 11, verse 4. Let me read it to you. By faith, Abel, and remember, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. What is he saying? Even though he's dead, he's saying when you worship God, you worship him in spirit and in truth. You worship him the way he tells you to worship him. Cain had no respect for what God required. It was over God's acceptance of Abel's offering and rejection of Cain's offering that led Cain to kill his brother Abel. But the Apostle John, in his epistle of 1 John, which we studied several months ago, gives us the root reason as to why Cain really killed Abel. Yes, it was a lot of the jealousy, etc., but he tells us just as clear as a bell. In verse 12 of 1 John chapter 3, it says, Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, means out of, born out of, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Now, there are two things we want you to see there. First of all, it says that Cain was out of the evil one. All of us are born that way into this world. It's an epitome of lostness. That's the mark that Satan left on all of us. He was born out of the evil one. He was of the evil one. And secondly, because he was of the evil one, he bore the nature of the one he's of. He, his deeds were evil. We do what we do, listen carefully, because we are what we are. We do what we do because we are what we are. Both words for evil uses the same Greek word, which is the word poneros. Now, poneros is a Greek word that frames for us a disdain for man in the fact that poneros is is harm that one intends to do to another. That's the word evil. It's injurious harm. It's not like another word for evil, kakos, which means basically you're inherently evil, but you're you're not intending to do anything bad with it, but Paneros takes that next step, takes that, that next level. Cain, who was of the devil himself, not only defied God and would not worship him the way God required him to be worshipped, but he also despised man. A false teacher like Cain defies God by a refusal to worship him the way God tells him to worship. Now, I just want to camp out there just for a second. I didn't even see this when I was studying. It hit me in the first message today. You see, Cain did worship God, but he had his own way of doing it. He wouldn't come to God the way God required him to come. False worship. I just, I just wonder, in the day that we live in, how many believers even understand what worship is? 
To some people, it's a, a chill that goes up and down their back when a song is sung. To some people, it's a particular way of singing a hymn. Or for some other people, it's a chorus. Some people, it's how loud the music is. Some people, it's how quiet the music is. And worship has all kinds of convoluted uh, definition to it. But do you realize there are three words for worship that are primarily used in the New Testament? And it tells us what it is. It tells us it's not the music. It tells us it's not necessarily what goes on at church. It tells us it's more of a lifestyle than anything else. For instance, one of the words is proskuneos. Proskuneos is the word that means to fall down flat, prostrate before God, so enamored, so overwhelmed, so in awe of who he is. You don't want anybody to see you because there's nothing about you that's worthy to be seen. You just want Christ to be seen. The other word, second word, is sibome. Sibome means that you get up on Monday morning after having been to church on Sunday, and, sun, and Monday through Saturday, you let Jesus be so much Jesus in you that you're reflecting to people that you are what you say you are on Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Wherever you are, it's a lifestyle of worshiping, of obedience, of yieldedness to Him. And then the third word that is used primarily for worship is the word latrevo. And the word latrevo means to serve. If I'm not serving him by saying yes to him, and that begins to emanate out from me to other people, then there's no worship in my life. And so I'm going this week to speak at Ridgecrest Baptist Assembly to all of the worship leaders and pastors on the whole eastern United States. And I'm going to be talking about what worship is. So many of our churches, they just don't get it. It's not what we do in here. What we do in here is an extension of what God has done in and through our lives all week long. And so people, yes, they come to worship. But I wonder how much false worship is even in the 21st century in churches today by people who will not bow to God's absolute authority in their life. Well, once you have a false worship, you're going to have a false feeling towards others and a love towards others. It's going to be a hatred. It's going to be despising. You'll despise God's creation. If you're not going to worship God, which means you're going to defy Him, you're going to despise His creation. If you're going to worship God, you're going to love His creation, and the two cannot be separated. A false teacher, obviously, by the way he treats others, obviously by his lifestyle, does not care for anyone but himself. So Jude says, woe to them, woe to them. It's an impending judgment that is coming, for they have gone the way of Cain. They defile God, and they despise his people. Now remember, once again, we do what we do because we are what we are. Secondly, not only do they think only themselves, secondly, they do what they do for personal gain. Everything's about them. It's not about God. It's not about others. It's about themselves. Jude continues and says, And for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. Now the Greek word for pay, the word mistos, is the word meaning for hire, for salary, for wages, for gain. The words they have rushed headlong is one Greek word, which is the word echeo. When it is used metaphorically and as figuratively as it is here, it means to run into something with passion. Now, I'm smiling because I thought of an illustration. It means to passionately run into something, to run headlong into it. I used to get so excited at every basketball game I played when I was in college. I just really got pumped up. And uh, we'd sing, we'd play that music, the sweet Georgia Brown. Well, it's been a while back. 
And they would just blare that thing out. It would be in the dorms all after all morning long before that game. We'd hear that music. Dun, 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 dun. Man, I'd go in. I was so excited. And I remember one particular game. We had to go up a set of steps to get up to the gym floor. Everybody out there was playing, hollering. Their bands were playing. And I remember <laughs> as I was going up the steps, I was the last player. And the coach was behind me and began to laugh. And he began to really laugh. And when I got up to the top of the steps, I turned to him to see what was so funny. He said, Wayne, you have your shorts on backwards. And I said, well, coach, they don't know if I'm zone pressing or fast breaking, you know. <laughs> but that's what it means with a passion to rush into something. Now, it is, it is to totally give yourself to something. King James Version translates it this way. It says, they ran greedily after the error of Balaam. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. Now, the word error is in the phrase era of Balaam is plenty, and, and plenty means to, to divert from the right path, to be, we get the word planet from it, to wander off the right path. They, they've come away from that which is right, and they've gone the wrong way. Now, Balaam's era is clearly, pretty clearly stated in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. It says, forsaking the right way, now that's key, forsaking it. Not missing it, forsaking it. It's like people who say, I lost my first love. That's not what Revelation says. It says you left your first love. It's a choice. Balaam's error is clearly saying, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, and here it is, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He'd like, get his pocket filled up, get his bank account looking a little bit better. Balaam's compromise came after he had chosen to forsake the right way. Greed was his motivation as he put himself under the hire for the pagan king named Balak. Balak was the king of the Midianites. Now, if you remember, they were enemies of Israel. His job, because he wanted a little extra money in the coffer, he wanted to buy a motorhome so he could tour America, he wanted to, to get a few things else in his bank account, so his, his job was to curse Israel. Now, here he is, a prophet, supposed to curse Israel. Being known as a prophet, at least being known that way, that whatever he cursed was cursed and whatever he blessed was blessed, obviously he refuses to obey that. He's not going to curse Israel. In fact, he ends up giving a blessing to Israel. And Balak didn't quite get it until later. But what he did was much, much worse than to just curse Israel. He used his teaching to promote unrighteous living. Now, that's the worst thing you can possibly do. He showed the Midianites in his teaching what they could do so that Israel would not have to be cursed. They would curse themselves. In other words, he showed them exactly what to do. Listen, listen, to, listen to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. He says, but I have a few things against you. He says, John writing to the church. He's actually Jesus writing to them. I have a few things against you because you have, have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. What stumbling blocks? To eat meat, or things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Now, he counseled the Midianites to seduce the Israelites, 
first into idolatry, invite them into your homes. In fact, if you'll go back and read in Numbers, it talks about how they went over to their homes and they ate the meat sacrificed to idols. This brought the curse upon them. He didn't have to curse Israel. He just showed them. He used his teaching to get people to act unrighteously. And then, of course, fornication. Have relationships with them. Marry them. Intermarry. That was sinful, and it would bring a curse upon Israel. So his way, like the false teachers, was to use the spiritual means in order to get the material ends and, to, and gain for himself. Part of his error was thinking that he could get away with it and to teach others that they could get away with it. In the same way, the false teachers also compromised God's truth in such a way that involved, first of all, idolatry, but then immorality, and made people think it was good, and it was all for the false teacher's personal gain. Isn't it amazing how big a crowd you can get when you just tell everybody they can do whatever they want to do? Be happy, be merry, have a ball. Tomorrow we may die. That's in the book of Hesitation, chapter 4, but people seem to respond to that kind of thing. They want to be entertained. They want their ears tickled all the time. They want to feel good. And it's exactly what Balaam did. He told them exactly how they could sin and possibly get away with it. Well, these would also likewise perish under God's judgment, these false teachers, just like Balaam perished. And Balaam really stands for two things. He stands for the covetous man who was prepared to sin in order to get gain. What's in it from me, the means justifies the ends. But he also stands for the evil man who is guilty of the greatest of all sins, the sin of teaching others that it's okay to sin. So Jude is saying of the wicked men of his own day that they're ready to, in a minute to forsake the way of righteousness for any kind of personal gain, but also in their, <coughs> in their greed, excuse me, just swallowed something, I think. I hope there was no calories in it. <laughs> Pardon me. In their greed, they're teaching others to sin without any fear of judgment. Balaam was a prototype of his day, of all the greedy teachers and false teachers in Jude's day who would lead God's people into false teaching and immorality and idolatry, but for their own personal gain. Anything, godliness for gain. I remember one day I was studying with Dr. Zoviades, and we were doing one of the letters of Paul to Timothy, and it talked about the sin of godliness for gain. And he turned to me and looked at that stern look. Of course, I never saw him look any other way. <laughs> I was always scared to have death of him. And he said, what do you charge when you go to a meeting and you do a revival, you do a Bible conference? I said, I don't charge anything. He said, good. He said, don't you ever let me hear of you charging anything. I said, well, I'm not going to charge anything. But I said, why are you so adamant about it? He said, because the gospel is free to all men. And when you go, you go because you've been saved. And that was a gift of God's grace. And don't you ever put a, he said, if they want to give you something, that's between them and God. But don't you ever put a charge on that. Never forgotten that, by the way, because that's exactly what these false teachers did. Told them what they wanted to hear and charged them for it. If you've studied Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, the false teachers actually charged the people to come and to listen to false doctrine. You say, well, Wayne, that would never happen in the 21st century. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I wonder how many people in the churches all over Albuquerque today are sending money to false teachers don't even know it. 
pouring it into their coffers, pouring it in. Why? Probably for their own personal gain somehow. But I guarantee you one thing, that this marked right here, they think only of themselves. They do what they do for personal gain. And then thirdly, they know no authority over them, no authority whatsoever. Jude continues and says, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. The word perished there is apolimi, and it means to be completely destroyed. Now, this is a judgment that he's talked about, about the false teachers earlier. And perished in, in, in the rebellion of Korah. The word rebellion there is the word antilogia. And it's interesting. It, it's interesting what it means here. Anti means against, and logos means to speak. So this is a rebellion that came out in a way the people spoke against, the way they reproached. They rebelled against, but they did it with their mouth. They did it with what they said and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, what was Korah's rebellion? Now, remember, notice he's given us already two examples, the way of Cain and Balaam. Now he comes with Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion was not only against God, but it was also against the leaders that God had appointed over the people, which were Moses and Aaron. Now you might say, well, look at, look at Aaron. He built the golden calf. That's right, but God appointed him the first high priest, and God knows what he's doing. And so he puts people in positions of leadership over his people. The story is found in Numbers 16 when Korah and 250 leaders in Israel rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Now the Korahites, that whole family of Korah, were among the distinguished families of Israel. Now look at, look at the parallels of the 21st century. I mean, they were somebody. They were one of the major guilds of musicians in the temple, as recorded in 2 Chronicles 20:19. They were the temple gatekeepers, as we find in 1 Chronicles 9:19, in chapter 26, verse 1 and verse 19. They were also bakers for the bread to be used in the temple, as we find in 1 Chronicles 9:31. So they were leaders in Israel, the Korahites were people in high positions amongst the people of God, which was Israel. The Korah that is mentioned in Jude 11 was a descendant of all of these prominent people. Now, after the Lord commanded Moses in Numbers 15, he commanded Moses and told him what to say to the people. So the, he came out and gave his talk to the people of what they would do when they got over in the promised land. Remember, they were out of it for 430 years. 30 years, they were, in, they were free. 400 years, they were in captivity in a Hebrew slave camp. And he said, when you get out of here, you go through the wilderness. When you get to the land of Canaan, here's what you tell the people to do. And so he does that. Now, listen in chapter 16 to how Korah and these prominent followers of his responded or reacted to what Moses had just stood before them and told them. Listen carefully. I'm only going to read three verses, but you'll get it. You'll see it right away. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelet, sons of Reuben, took action. What did they do? It says, right after Moses, the leader, had just spoken. It's interesting. It says, and they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. This is not anybody, buddy. These are somebodies. Verse 3. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron. That tells you right there. This is a rebellious, contentious spirit against. And said to them, you've gone far enough. 
for all the congregation are holy. Every one of them. <laughs> right. You know anything about Israel? The Old Testament. What did Moses say? The most stiff-necked, hard-hearted, I mean, people in, in all of God's earth. Every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. Then it says this. Now watch carefully. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? <laughs> Put it in 21st century language. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Boy, look at the spirit of a false of a person walking after the flesh, much less a false teacher. They're going to bow to no one. Jude's point is the false teachers were of the same mindset. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? It doesn't matter who God has put into the leadership of the church. It doesn't matter who God put in leadership over Israel. We're just as good as they are, and we will have our own way. And what they don't understand is, if you rebel against God's leadership, you're really rebelling against Him. Our daughter Stephanie's here this week, and she was in the first service. She is just the sunshine of our life. She and Diana are having a ball this week because little... Jonathan, who's eight, and Holland, who just turned 12, going into the sixth grade for the first time, gets to go to camp as a camper. They're up at our camp with Eric, my son-in-law, is doing the speaking for our young people this week. But Dinah and Stephanie are having a ball. But I remember Stephanie was always, oh, Daddy, Daddy, I love you, I love you. Can I go to the store with you? Oh, she was so precious, so sweet, so all the time. Smiley, smiley, smiley. Something happened at about 12 years old. I call it the fog. You know, how, isn't it funny? You can have the sweetest child you've ever had. All of a sudden, they go through the fog. It's the, it's the twilight zone. It's when all the brain cells die. <laughs> Stephen has just turned, he'll be turning 35. In fact, just turned 35. I've seen some cells come back. He's, I think he's going to make it through. But, you know, it's a funny thing happened. And all of a sudden, here's this little sweetie, sweetie. Oh, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. All of a sudden, bam, slamming doors. Man, they go to bed normal, and they wake up weird. It's slamming doors, walking around the house, saying, and I, Dinah and I would say, who is this person that's moved in our family? I mean, we don't know her. She looks like Stephanie. She's cloned her somehow, but different personality. One night, she was giving me what for. Stephanie was our strong will. She wasn't rebellious. Strong will. I could look at Stephen. He'd cry. Stephanie, nose to nose, toe to toe. Man, you'd spank her, and she'd say, oh, you got. Stephanie came in there, and boy, she was giving me what for. And I just had it. I couldn't handle her. And finally, I said, time out. She got real quiet. I said, Stephanie, I give up. I can't handle you. I'm turning you over to God, because if you're going to rebel to me, I'm the authority God's put in your life. You're really rebelling against God, and I think he can handle you better than I can. <laughs> Walked away. About 30 minutes later, she came downstairs. <laughs> No, no, not really sobbing. I'm sorry. Daddy, will you, will you forgive me? She couldn't handle God. That, was, that worked out real well. Anytime you rebel against any authority that God has placed, well, I don't like those people, and they're rednecks anyway. Well, that's a big whoopee do. If God put them in authority, we respect it. The position, if not the, if not the person. And if anybody rebels against authority, they're rebelling against God. And they have the same attitude as the Korahites. They have the same attitude as, as all flesh. Who do you think you are telling me anything? We're all holy. The whole congregation. <laughs> well, that's, that's these false teachers. That's exactly the way they are. They bow to nobody. They're their own authority. 
Look who we are. False teachers with their false and sinful doctrines were rebelling against God and his leaders who were the apostles when Jude wrote this, and Jude being one of them, and just like Korah and his following that rebelled against those that God had put into authority. They would suffer the same horrible death as did Korah and his men. And if you ever want to go back and read that 16th chapter of Numbers, and you'll find a real story there. Conclusion, they think only of themselves. They only think of themselves. They do what they do for personal gain. It has no, they detest people. They're disgusted with people. They care nothing for anybody but themselves. Therefore, what they do is for their own personal gain. That's it. But then thirdly, they know no authority over them. Now, we can learn from that because every one of these things are, are signals of the flesh. But this is the epitome of it in these false teachers. They do what they do. Remember I told you to hang on to that phrase? Because they are what they are. I recorded on my uh, television, it was either a Discovery Channel or History Channel about the grizzly man. Remember I've seen that video, it's about a three hour deal about the guy who goes up and lives with the grizzlies. Anybody see that? Boy, y'all are missing half your life. But I recorded it, three hours, and it was about this guy wanting to be a bear, I guess. He just loved bears, just loved bears. He wanted to go up and live with them, wanted to find out what they were like and be their buddy for about three or four years, and one day, and you could have written a story, I could have written a story. In fact, he was on, I think, Jay Leno, one of those guys, and they wrote the story. They told him what was going to happen. Sure enough, one day, a rogue grizzly bear came in. He had his girlfriend fly up, and they were camping out there, which, and that's not good. And anyway, the bear came in and ate both of them. And I, it, the interesting responses to that, I, yes, it's horrifying in the sense of human loss. Don't, don't hear me wrong. But everybody's blaming the grizzly bear. You kidding? The grizzly bear was just being a grizzly bear. He did what he did because he is what he is. We do what we do because we are what we are. And I think in these days in the 21st century, we need to start learning what we are, whose we are, and how we're supposed to live. If it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, quacks like a duck, flies like a duck, walks like a duck. Wow, must be a duck. You know, the best way in the world to refute false teaching is to live what you say you are, Monday through Saturday, worshiping Him with your life submitted to Him. And what that does, it shows up like night and day as to what the false is compared to what the real really is. That's the only way to do it live what we say we are. And that's what's going to be the whole last part of Jude, but we're not quite there yet. About six more verses before we get there. So we should get to that part about Christmas. So <laughs> as, as a believer, remember, everybody who says it, don't buy it. Look at their life before you read their book. Because hidden behind there, we've been taken backstage. Now we see what they're really like. Be careful. Be careful. Is, is the words that God put on my heart to tell you this morning. Let's stand together and let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and we're going to, praise team is going to come. I'm, Terry's, Terry's going to finish out the invitation. I have to catch a plane, 135, so I'm going to ease out. So several of uh, so just don't worry about that part of it. But just, would you bow your head with me right now and just close your eyes and Let's just uh, go before the Lord. What does God want you to respond to this morning? What have you heard 
that it convicts your heart. Maybe you're not living like you're supposed to be living, and therefore nobody can tell the difference of who is and who isn't. Maybe that's what God's saying. Be encouraged because if Christ lives in you, He wants to live through you. So would you just pray with me right now? And when I finish praying, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Terry, like I said, is going to close the service and just let the Lord speak to your heart. Father, we thank you so much for truth. Truth, Father, that sets our, our paths straight and anchors our feet steady on the ground. Lord, we thank you that we know now that not everybody who says it really lives it or means it. And Father, I pray that we would not fit into that category, that you'd make every one of us let us live out what we say we are. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us in spite of us. Father, minister to us now as we come to this invitation. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder if there's anybody here today that's never, ever bowed before the Lordship of Christ and said, Lord Jesus, I want to receive you into my heart by giving myself to you. You've never done that. And this morning, you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus and have his life and his light to come into you, his love. If you'll come straight toward me and go to my right, and when you get up here to the double doors, there'll be people that want to encourage you and pray with you. Listen, all of us have had to come in the same way. So don't ever feel embarrassed or don't ever feel looked at. But if God's singling you out today, maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe you're here and you want to join our church. You don't know how. Come the same place, even as I'm talking, straight to my right, to your left. But maybe you just need to come to the altar. We had several at the first service. Just come to the altar. Maybe God's convicted you that really there's no evidence in your life to prove you to be a believer because you're not living out what you say you are. Maybe there's something really missing, and you need to come to the altar this morning. Either pray for yourself or pray for somebody. Nobody will bother you here. Nobody will embarrass you. So just as Terry and the group lead, you do as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart.
Amen. Would you just reach across the aisles and next to those, reach out and grab someone's hand next to you this morning. And as we sing these words, we're reminded that Christ is the living water. And he, everything that are longings of our heart, that he will satisfy that. So as we sing these words, just in your heart, worship him that he is more than enough for all of our needs. Amen.